are here with Scott Weil, one of the producers of Once Upon a Superhero, and John M. Klein, who's also producer, writer, and director of this feature film. Gentlemen, how are you today? Doing fantastic. Thanks a lot for having us. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure. I mean, I, to find out that this movie took six plus years to finish has got to feel like some sort of achievement. Well, it should be an achievement in any right to finish a film, but to also make an award-winning film should be a greater achievement. Absolutely, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really happy about whatever the way everything's going, and uh, very excited to be uh, winning uh, festivals. Yeah. Now, gentlemen, this is a, a very independent film, a small budget movie. A lot of people would have given up much sooner. What was the driving factor in wanting to complete a movie that took six years to do so? Oh man, there's you know, I, I just, I'm just not a I'm not a quitter. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I do it and it gets done. And this was uh, as being an artist, this was uh, quite the. Uh, Quite the artistic, uh, pro- this is quite the project, I, the biggest project I read take on before, and um, yeah, it's just something I wasn't going to give up on. It, my entire life, that's all I ever wanted to do, so I, you know, there was just no way that was going to happen. Right. And you guys managed to buck the Hollywood system in making this film, in a sense. Absolutely, in every way possible. Yeah. With no permits on the streets. Everything that people told us couldn't be done, uh, we did, and broke uh, pretty much every rule in the book. So very 1990s guerrilla style. I'm sorry. I said uh, before. Sorry for interrupting, but I said very 1990s guerrilla style. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of 90s cinema. I grew up on that, and that was definitely a big inspiration for me. And Scott, you were saying, I'm sorry. No, just even to the way it was not only made, but to the way we have continued to roll it out, continues to buck the trend of maybe the way most films would go about uh, putting the film out into the world and little by little getting it released and building that that crowd around it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, there had to have been some difficulties in, you know, let's say... Uh, you know, Adam plays Solar Solar Flare. Uh, Adam uh, Markinowski and Marcinowski. Thank you so much. I'm sorry about that. Sorry, Adam. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that we go through in a six year period. Whether it's weight gain, weight loss, uh, hair loss, whatever it is. What were the challenges just on the physical basis for someone like Adam or Yvette? Uh, you know, playing these characters and dealing with with just body image shifting all right to be honest with you most of the film was shot all not i mean it was completely shot within um the movie itself only took like oh man probably you know it definitely took less than a year to actually shoot the entire thing all of our problems were in post-production and funding issues and getting everything uh finished with the sound we had endless sound problems i mean it took us a long time to edit it but the sound was just a nightmare Hmm. and what finishing the finishing or at least conquering those issues you know how many awards have you guys won so far at least you know i know more than a handful yeah we had gotten a best sci-fi feature in uh silver state film festival out in las vegas Mm -hmm. And uh, late in 18, we also got Best Sci-Fi Feature in uh, 
Marina Del Rey and Best Cinematography in Culver City. Um, as far as going back to what you had mentioned, too, with Adam's transformation, uh, prior to filming, John and Adam were working out very heavily together and truly training him into a superhero model. Adam's a very big guy, uh, actually played some collegiate football, uh, Division One at University of Washington. And so he trained for probably, what, John, six months before the role? Probably, probably, yeah. I started training him, wow, let's see, maybe like February or March, and we'd start shooting till the end of October. And I trained him for like about a month or so, like extreme. I, I, I train myself. I've been doing martial arts since I was seven, and I, I work out every single day. So uh, I'm in pretty good shape. And um, we worked out. I trained him for about two and a half, three hours a day for like what was it like five five days a week and we did that for about a month and then he just took it on his own and started training at another gym and just doing his own thing uh, once he got a hang up with the hang of everything and he already did some he already did some training though just a different type he was just not like uh he wasn't ripped and like you know like that type of superhero he was in good shape and healthy he just didn't have like that uh you know like that like, you know, that Marvel type of look. And then we had also taken a period of time off um, for a few months in between where we actually had to go through some recasting. And during that time, he grew the beard out and began to let some of that, you know, stop the workouts and began to put on some weight as well. And that finished his, well, not finished, but continued his evolution uh, along with the costume, as it both began to change from a true superhero look and a very crisp, real, clean superhero outfit into a one that had been through quite a bit, and his look and appearance began to match that over time. And, and I, I do like the concept of a superhero losing his powers and waiting for his abilities to return. So that visual actually does play well into it. I, you know, so good on you for that. Oh, thanks. Appreciate yeah. that. Uh, since John, you wrote the movie and you directed it, um, you know, did you try shopping around studios first, or you said, "No, we are purely going to make this an independent film, and it's going to be exactly the way Scott and I want it." Yeah, no, it was a hundred percent. I was absolutely when I set out to make this movie, I set out to make the most anti-Hollywood film I could ever do, and that was never going to be uh, working with a studio. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That would go against everything. So, uh, yeah, from the very start, I said, uh, yeah, no studios. I'm going to self-finance this myself, and I'm going to do this all my own way. I also, you know, designed the costumes, even though, uh, and I did all the production design as well. Oh, wow. Uh, what made but you want to... I the costume designer on four of the costumes. Right. Uh, what made you want to, des- uh, or what made you decide to buck the Hollywood system altogether? I mean, have you had prior experiences with them and, you know, uh, various uh, abuses, shall we say? Um, all you gotta do is pretty much watch the movies that are being put out nowadays, uh-huh. and they'll pretty much tell you. Mm-hmm. So definitely a fan of uh, of indie cinema because the '90s was the was the indie cinema uh, you know heyday. So it, I assume it would be influent more influential today than it than it would be for generations or the last generation that grew up on all this stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of 90s cinema, 70s cinema, even um, uh, 80s cinema as well, you know, but that's more like, you know, 
completely different. That was more like just kind of fun, more kind of fun cinema. Yeah, right. exactly. But, uh, but that was always a. It's always great to watch. Yeah. Uh, what made you guys want to tell the story of Solar Flare? Like, how did this story develop in the, in regards to, you know, here's the superhero that's lost his powers and now life's taken a hold of him as a, a mere mortal? Well, I originally wrote it as a short film, and it was originally, uh, to be honest, it was, a, it was the character Space Ghost. Just as a joke, I wrote this 17-page script, and the original script was Space Ghost, and he... he he was some guy on Hollywood Boulevard who proclaimed to be Space Ghost and who lost his superpowers and was stuck on the boulevard with a bunch of other characters. <laughs> and we, someone said, yeah, you guys, you guys should actually make this film, but write to Warner Brothers and see what they think about it, because uh, that's who owns Hanna-Barrera. Mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers immediately sent us a letter saying uh, there was no way that uh, they would file a lawsuit against us if we did that. So, uh so we changed. We had to figure out a way to change the character. And uh, Scott's uncle had a great, uh, was just throwing around some some names, and the name Solar Flare just really, uh, really stuck instead of uh, Space Ghost. And there you go. Well, I dig the name, so I you could actually something t- to go along with it. Yeah, I, d- I dig the name, so you guys Sorry. could. No, 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 it's okay. Uh, you guys could actually turn it into your own comic book series at this point. Try to sell it to like IDW or Boom or something. Yeah, you never know. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Definitely had, uh, yeah. we definitely talked that idea around. Well, Space Ghost was always a fun cartoon. I don't think Space Ghost ever got the credit that he deserved, even though I think he, the original series ran for like 16 episodes, possibly 13 episodes. But, um, you know, I, I've always been a fan of Space Ghost and the Hanna-Barbera uh, cartoons. And it's good to see that there was an inspiration for you guys with this. Um, once post production, did catch your second life on Adult Swim. It did, you know, and uh, the the jokes were kind of corny, but they were still a lot of fun and often risque. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it was a big satire itself, and that was my this film as well is a giant satire on and a parody on Hollywood and the whole everything going on right now. Right. What has the reaction been from Hollywood when you guys sit there and talk about? Uh, you know, well, you're making fun of the industry as a whole, and even other big budget superhero Marvel films, DC films, etc. Um, has there been a backlash in any regard, or they just still look at you guys as small indie filmmakers and they're like, "Yeah, let them do what they're doing because we're not paying too much attention." Well, uh, considering that DC just hired our uh, our main actress to be in one of their biggest uh, biggest series, uh, I guess they don't. You know, they haven't said anything else. They haven't said anything to us. Well, then let's hope they hire you guys on to do the Space Ghost movie. <laughs> you, go, you never know, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, if they hired if they hired your actress, then they're going to watch uh, Once Upon a Superhero and you know Space Ghost influenced the film. You know, you never know. Great Space Odyssey. You never know. Yeah, you space. No, yeah. Space Ghost meets the Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> Stranger <laughs> things have happened. This is true. Yeah. Uh, Scott, were you involved in this process at the very beginning when, when John came up with the idea, or did you come along later into it and go, "No, I got to be a part of this"? No, nah, we were we were doing stuff even before this movie. We had uh, originally started with uh, a couple of music videos and a short film. Uh, that played in a couple of festivals several years ago. We had actually been working on a feature separate from this one uh, that John had written, and we had actually brought that right to the 11th hour and kind of pulled the plug on that one last second. 
but what came out of that was a lot of learning experience and uh, a couple of people through that uh, experience also continued to uh, be actors on this film, uh, including uh, Jason Hughes, who uh, plays Captain Boulevard, and uh, Adam we met uh, prior uh, from a different casting session from that movie. So he wound up playing Solar Flare. <laughs> and uh, it was funny because when I had met Adam, he always had the look of a superhero, right? And there was something mentally in my head that I, I just had put as a bookmark. And obviously when uh, John had started flipping around the idea for uh, Space Ghost and then turning it into Solar Flare, uh, Adam was actually uh, the only person that I believe ever read for it. It was almost like immediately he was that guy. And we never really had to look for Solar Flare beyond that. Hmm. Um, and got really lucky with a guy that was willing to take street art and method acting to the highest of levels uh, for a very long period of time, you know, two, three years. He not only uh, did the movie for the year and a half we were filming, but he continued to go out into Hollywood in the costume for uh, a couple of years after we were done filming and building the legend of Solar Flare. So he, he really did a lot of outside-the-box things that... I don't know many actors have done those particular things with regard to a movie. And he helped finance the film by taking those pictures in front of uh, Grauman's Chinese Theater. <laughs> Inadvertently, yeah. <laughs> that would have just been hilarious. He just sent him out there, and that's how you yeah, helped finance the film. Yeah, no. Maybe we should have funny people would actually give him... Uh, yeah, no, people would actually give him money here and there, but he always gave it to homeless people. Oh, that's that's awesome. People yeah. would give him weed brownies. They would give him water. They would, he would come home with all kinds of things. It was very, very funny uh, I, what people gave him out there. I would be terrified to take just random unwrapped food from strangers and then <laughs> tell me that it's laced with anything from weed to acid, God knows what else. And I'll go, here you go. Exactly, especially out there. Right. Oh, man. I mean, thank well, you, you know, for the kind gesture, but... <laughs> That was actually one of the most fascinating parts is a lot of times because we did this guerrilla style, people didn't know we were filming. So mm. people just saw him in this dirty costume, but they had no idea there was a movie about it. So we would see like literally the, the best and worst of humanity on a daily basis and just how they treated solar <laughs> Very, very interesting side uh, context see that's awesome in that regard because you, like you said you got to see the best and worst of humanity but d did it make you hopeful for humanity in some regards or did you just sit there and go yeah that's la screw this place no absolutely not <laughs> good <laughs> no. yeah see, there, there was ups and downs right there were days where he would come back and you know uh I mean, I'd be always be out there with him, hiding somewhere, filming from not not too far away, or sometimes right next to him. People just wouldn't realize it. And uh, yeah, you know, it, there's good and there's bad. There's people that would, you know, feel bad for him. You know, there were, there were, there was a prayer session once that held around him that all these people prayed for him, uh, prayed for him, and um, there were people that you know would give him money and offer help. And then there were people that would literally spit on him, and there were people that would literally start screaming at him and wow. call him names and really treat him awful. Um, so, yeah, it's just there's, there's good and bad. Uh, once uh, even he had a limo pull up to him once, and next thing you know, uh, the window rolled down, and there was Will Smith. Will Smith was like, yo, man, you're doing an awesome job. I love what you're doing, and uh, rolled up the window and drove away. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, we were, you know, all kinds of stories out there. Right. 
the just the spitting on him though boggles my mind. The fact that this guy's just walking around in a costume and you willing to spit on a human being. Oh yeah, there's a yeah another guy had a cane and wanted to like beat him up with a cane. Was like literally screaming at him. Like you know, we have that all filmed too. And this guy just started like he was just sitting there. He wasn't even talking to anybody. He was just sitting on the ground. And this guy just started like screaming at him and threatening to hit him with his cane and and then it just got pretty crazy for for no reason whatsoever. Unbelievable. Yeah. What was we had that? a few multi uh, documentary cam- uh, documentary cameramen filming a lot of the post-movie process. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what ended up in the in the documentary that goes along with the film once it, once it'll be released on DVD or Blu-ray? I don't know. No. You know, to be honest with you, the, the filmmaker who, who's doing the documentary, uh, I don't believe he's even started editing it, to be honest with you. Um, I'm actually going to see him tonight, and I was actually going to talk to him more about that. But, uh yeah, I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping he'll put that together. You know, I don't. I, I re- we really don't know much about what's going on with that. I'm hoping that uh, I mean, he's a good friend of ours, but he's a very, very busy person. He wor- He actually worked in the industry. Yeah, he, he's uh, he worked well, well, big into the big uh, in the in the Hollywood industry. Doing. I'm not gonna get into it, but uh, yeah, he's definitely uh, he's definitely a part of a uh, part of the industry. And and um, I think yeah, I think I, I think he, he has a lot of footage. He has a lot of good things that he can really show, and I, I'm not really sure what's going to make it and what, what won't. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I hope he puts it together. As far as that project, that's something that's more down the line. I think he always saw this the way we saw this as becoming a cult film over time and people really enjoying um, repeat viewings of the movie, uh, which we hear all the time. We just came back from a tour where... We did um, Arizona, Florida, New York, Denver, as we prepare for our big Hollywood premiere this upcoming Saturday uh, at the TCL Chinese Theater as part of the Golden State Film Festival. And uh, even when we were on tour, we were getting messages from people that had just seen the movie in the other cities like, I can't get this movie out of my head or we can't stop talking about this movie. When And where can we see this again? Um, you know, so it's really taken that kind of hold of, with the audiences. Uh, that's phenomenal. Is, is that the biggest compliment that you could be paid? Is that people that have seen it at a film festival are eager to see it again and possibly follow the film like the Grateful Dead? <laughs> that would definitely be Scott's, uh, Scott's greatest achievement Scott ever had in his entire life. Uh, that would definitely be for him. Uh, I'm a fan of that. Yeah, it would be for me too, but he's he's a a huge Grateful Dead fan, that's why. Oh, serious? uh, (laughs) Yeah, that was a funny (laughs) reference that you threw in there out of left field. Well, because Deadheads followed them around for so many years. I I think the better comparison for Once Upon a Superhero might be, and not that we're a musical in any way, but Rocky Horror Picture Show or one of those midnight cult movies that people continue to go and enjoy and dress up as the characters and, and have a good time with the whole the whole thing. And I think that's more of where we envision eventually this going towards. Okay. I dig it. Now, is this a bigger middle finger to the industry to have the film premiere in L.A. at Grauman's Chinese Theater at the TCL? Because, <laughs> like, well, you guys bucked the like whole system. And, okay. Because we, that's where we filmed. I don't know if you know, outside the front place is where all this happened, you know. Right. A lot of those times he got spit on was right in front of the TLC theater. 
and we filmed a lot of it right there. And so for it to start there and for it to finish there, well, possibly I don't know if it'll finish there, but you know, as of now, this is our last festival, so you know that we know of. So uh, you know, for it to you know, for many years ago to be shot there and then to come back around, wrap around, and then all of a sudden now it's being filmed there. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty hysterical. Yeah. And what was Adam's reaction to that? Like, they spit on me there and now here I am premiering my film here. Yeah, I think he's pretty pumped. I think he's pretty pumped. Yeah. Is, is that kind of like the biggest compliment for you guys to sit there and go, you know, we started here and we're finishing here? Well, just for starters, and, and going, sorry, John, just to go back a second to you and give your listeners some context, we literally, where we live and, and did the, the movie out of the apartment is literally two week, uh, two blocks from the venue. So it, it's got a lot of sentimental value as far as the location. A lot of it was filmed in and around the surrounding blocks. Uh, we as a, we as a cast and crew are actually going to do a walk. From the building to the venue together on Saturday and live feed to our audience and kind of bring them on a little journey with us past some of the places that we did film a lot of the stuff. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Is, it, is yeah, that, absolutely. Are you, are you, are you coming um, out for the premiere? Unfortunately, I'm going to be at the U.S. Sumo Opens, so I won't be able to make the premiere, but I'm happy I got to talk to you guys about the film before that. I know it's a yeah, we absolutely. we do all sorts of stuff from combat sports to to movies and superhero comics and whatnot. So to talk to you about Once Upon a Superhero now, and then while you guys are at the premiere, being at the U.S. Sumo Opens, it's we're all over the place, man. <laughs> but we're having fun with it. That's awesome. Hey, well, we might be at the uh, Frida Theater next month, so oh. we will keep you posted on that too. Oh, the Frida is like fifteen minutes from my house, so that's awesome. Yes, we'll let you know. Yeah, and you're going to bring the whole crew or just the two of you? Like, how, how are you planning on doing it for the Frida? Um, well, that's not official yet, okay. but obviously, you know, we, we always hope as many of our cast and crew can make it. We, we love to connect with everybody uh, on a personal level that comes mm -hmm. and sees the movie. Uh, it's a real special part of uh, what's kind of shaping uh, mm -hmm. this journey of the movie. So, yeah, hopefully as many can make it down as possible. Uh, obviously, it's tough. We've got a lot of moving pieces and people right. have scheduling issues, but uh, we always invite and hope they can make it down. Perfect. Uh, you know, like, like you said, the production, the post-production was, was the biggest uh, pain in the posterior. But, you know, you guys get a lot of compliments and people wanting to follow the film. What is the, gener what is the most complimented or talked about scene in the film from the people that have seen it more than once? Oh man, uh, I think you have to see the movie uh, <laughs> to put that one. Uh, there's a pretty, there's a pretty intense sex scene that people seem to keep talking about over and over, and uh, it's not quite like anything you've seen before. Let's just say that. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think <laughs> there's, there's, all there's a lot of scenes that could be candidates for that. Okay. Yeah, there's uh, a lot though. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys whittled it down to a near two-hour film, or an hour and 53 minutes is what the runtime uh, run is? Yeah, yeah. So. It, it, it's a pretty epic film, so yeah, there's a lot going on. It's basically almost like two movies in one, so <laughs> yeah, to cut it down to just that was, uh, was probably quite the achievement itself. Now, a lot of people have, you know, some will call it superhero fatigue. I think it's more sequel fatigue. 
Um, mm-hmm. Would there be a possible plan for a sequel to this film, or does it need to be a standalone cult classic? <laughs> well, there could be spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Let's just put that, you know. Okay. Let me just put it that way, you know. And the way it's done, you know, there there, there could always be there's always room for uh, for plenty of things that happen between uh, between day one before the between the first and last day, which is what the movie's all about. Right. His first and last day on Earth. Okay. There's a lot to uh, a lot to be done and said for in between that time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as far as like you know backstory and things like that, but uh, there could be plenty of spinoffs. That's for sure. Right now, uh, the film also has a two to three minute animation scene inside of it as well. I love animation, and it's great that you incorporate multiple styles in this film. You had mentioned earlier, though, that you were working on another project and just cut that off to to do Once Upon a Superhero. What was that movie, and would there ever be a chance to go back and revisit that and finish that project? Wow. Yeah, no, prob- probably not, to be honest. That was, uh, you know, it's one of those things that was we worked on for a long time. We had the locations, we had the actors, everything was ready to go. We were, I think, what, two weeks away from starting uh, from the first day of shooting, and it was just endless problems uh, with, with, the, with the lead actor. We kept having problems with our lead actor, and one thing after another, we had to change the lead actor several times, and um, yeah, and eventually I just shelved the film and pulled this out, and uh, I think that's just like past its time now, mm-hmm. especially for what it's about. And um, just that that type of film itself, uh, I don't really, I don't really work on those kind of films anymore. Mm. You know, what is, it's like uh, more of a more of a comedy. That's why I don't really make comedies anymore. Uh, the laughter has died for you, is what you're telling me. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm just writing different stuff now. I'm writing more horror movies, to be honest. Okay. With you. I, they still have funny elements in it, but right. I just don't really. Uh, I'm not really into like that that type of style of filmmaking. Well, it seems comedies have fallen off where they have to beat you over the head with "this is funny" instead of allowing humor to just ensue. Exactly, and that's why I don't really I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've just kind of fallen out of the comedy. Uh, the whole, what we are what's what's considered funny nowadays it just mm-hmm. isn't really funny to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't remember it. From it. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I watched something that didn't feel cheesy and forced and just contrived in every way. Right. You know, or or overly perverse for the sake of being perverse rather than just letting it, you know, let the mind play with it. Like, to me, I like innuendo far more than just being tawdry for the sake of being tawdry. Yeah, exactly. How many dick jokes do you really tell, you know? Right. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's like what I tell people. I liked Howard Stern better on terrestrial radio because euphemism had to imply so much more than he could actually just drop f bombs or or whatever else that you know he could just freely say. Yeah, exactly. I uh, agree with you 100. Yeah. percent It's always more fun when you're bordering on the forbidden. Yeah. Um, and classic films did that all the time, so I think that's why they stood out as you know being classics now rather than fr- forgettable. Uh, their disposable culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, What's interesting that I, uh, the, the, the movies in the eighties when I was a kid felt so much more cinematic than mm-hmm. today. And it's weird with all the technology that's better. You would think it would be better. And maybe, you know, it's just a product of my eyes and what I grew up on, but mm-hmm. it just doesn't look as good. Mm-hmm. 
It, some of it just seems that it's like we have the money to make it pretty, so let's let's make it prettier than the story actually requires. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I say this about comic books, and uh, you know, which is the inverse of film. In comic books, the art can save a bad story, and sometimes the story can save bad art. But if the if both are terrible, nothing will save it. In film, I always thought a good story could save bad uh, bad visual effects, but not the other way around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Substance over style. Nowadays, mm-hmm. it's all style over substance. <laughs> Yeah. And like the 3D craze about 10 years ago drove me nuts because not everything needed to be done in 3D. Yeah, exactly. There none and it would, and most of it wasn't even done in real 3D. They would yeah. just cut it out and like bring it forward. Yeah, which annoyed the hell out of me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie about it. I think Absolutely. I criticized uh, the Wolverine when they did that. I'm like there's no reason why him chopping wood needs to be a 3D image. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, John, you said you switched over to horror films right now with uh, humorous elements. Uh, What is it about the revival of horror movies that seem to have taken over independent cinema that just intrigues everyone? Well, personally, I grew up on horror films. I was a Mm -hmm. huge horror fan growing up in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Like, just monstrous. I was obsessed with them uh, when I was like six, seven years old. And I would watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with my grandma all the time. And then um, I just started getting into all everything from, uh, you know, all the different slasher films to, you know, Argento and all those types of films as well. Um, and as far as today, I think we're just living in a darker time. Mm-hmm. And and there's still a lot to be done with horror films. You know, you could the audience is there. They're willing to watch it. You don't have to have make something that has a gigantic budget just to get an audience. You don't have to have a famous star just to get the audience. Uh, people are willing to uh, take more chances with it. And there's still a lot to be, at least as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot to be told as far as storytelling with horror. I think you could really experiment and and uh, get away with a lot more than you can with other, other genres. Do you think people are actually, you know, living in darker times or they're making it darker for themselves because they're paying too much attention to it on social media? Well, it's a little I bit of both, you know. Uh, it's, everything is in, you know, uh, what are we going to say? Go ahead, Scott. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, I think a lot of it is who controls the algorithms out there and they push what they want to push to the top. Mm-hmm. And that's why a movie like Once Upon a Superhero has to work a hundred times harder to get this movie out and let its audience that's going to really enjoy this film find it, you know? Mm-hmm. And if we had those bus stop uh, ads and if we had the things triggering us to the top, it would be a lot easier to get this out in front of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because... But, but, I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead, John. But I think there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of things going on in the world. Uh, the media is really trying to push uh, a lot of negative things. We turn on the news, which I stay away from, but every time I do, if I'm at the gym or whatever, mm-hmm. they're saying everything bad. You know, I'm not into politics, but they're always pushing left versus right, male versus woman, cop versus you know pedestrian. I mean, it's just nonstop negativity, and that just can't be healthy for people uh, to see not day in day out, every you know nonstop. Right. I don't think that's healthy. So that's obviously pushing the world into a darker place. And then uh, the more people think about it, you know, uh, you know, we got to be a master of your own mind. 
mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, if, if you, if you want to be in that dark world, uh, you know, you could definitely be there. But if you want to, if you want to perceive things as being not as dark, and just go outside and take a walk and realize it's not, not so bad out there, you know, you'll realize that too. And people and, are and actually nicer to each other. To, sorry, sorry, but bringing this back to Once Upon a Superhero 2, what's funny is there's a movie that was written and filmed five to seven years ago, but the story may be even and probably is even more relevant now. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny how that works out? Yeah, the universe. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to see whether it's it's a political thing or a social issue. You know how something so long ago can still speak to a modern society, and I think that reflects art as a whole. If if it can do that ten, twenty, you know, sixty, seventy years later, then you're onto something, and you've created something worth watching. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree, and that was definitely something I aimed for as well when I was creating it. I wanted something that would uh, be relevant for a long time. Well, gentlemen, congratulations on the film. When when will the screening and the premiere be at uh, at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood? It's going to be this Saturday at 4 p.m., uh, we are part of the Golden State Film Festival. Uh, a lot of our cast and crew is going to be there before. We are going to be doing a Q&A after. Uh, we would love to meet some people firsthand. we got other dates planned. We have Portland coming up on May 5th, uh, New Mexico, the Frida, many more dates about to be added as well. Perfect. And, gentlemen, where can we find your website and social media? You can find us at Once Upon a Superhero the Movie on Instagram, and my personal uh, Instagram is Long Live Cinema. And we have a website, um, onceuponasuperhero.com, where you can get tickets and check out where we're playing, uh, when, uh, where we're playing next, which we'll also be playing in Portland, Oregon on May 5th, correct, Scott? That is correct. May 5th at 7.30 Clinton Street Theater. Uh, many more things to be announced, and as far as just keeping track of uh, where else we're going to be heading, which we will be global before the end of the year, and streaming announcements, mer- uh, shirts, all kinds of fun things coming up. Perfect. Can't, can't wait for you guys to blow this movie up and become the Midnight Madness feature for many years to come. March 23rd at 4 p.m. at the TCL Chinese Theater in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard. Gentlemen, congratulations on completing the film, uh, making it something worth watching, and that people should definitely check out whether they have superhero fatigue, want to see a superhero movie, or just love guerrilla-style cinema.